routinely cited as one of the funniest movies of all time. This is Spinal Tap, is much imitated, oft quoted and as fresh now as it was when it first appeared in 1984. If you haven't seen it, well you must buy it immediately. Spinal Tap takes the form of a documentary following a shambolic heavy metal band as they tour North America. Though the band is of course fictional, their songs are very real and very funny. One of the men behind both these songs and the razor sharp script is writer, actor, director and musician Christopher Guest. Now this makes him the perfect subject for Soundtracking, a weekly podcast about the sounds of the silver screen. As we'll discover, Christopher's musical background stood him in good stead for Tap and also A Mighty Wind, his affectionate parody of the folk world. His latest directorial project is Mascots. As with all his films, there's no traditional score, with the tunes the mascots perform to provided by C.J. Vanston. But he is a fan of film music, and in particular, the quirky orchestrations of an Italian legend. Christopher Guest, welcome to Soundtracking. I mean, music's been a massive part of your entire life. You studied it, for goodness sake. Well, I didn't study it very much, apparently. <laughs> it has been a part of my life, yes. I've played since I was young, and it's been a part of my films. And it's. I think the most fun thing to do has been to go out on tours we've done and play live. That's probably more fun than anything. Is it easier to write the musical elements to a film than it is the narrative to a film? It's just part of it. One isn't harder than the other. Music inherently is just more fun to do <laughs> than to sit down and to write things down. But it's an excuse to do something I love and put it in the work that I do, I guess. What for you were the first films and scores that you remember making an impression on you? Well, one of the early influences, even though it doesn't apply to what I do now, was the music in Fellini films. Uh, Nino Rota did some amazing scores that were bizarre, playful, um, funny, you know, um, mm. and that struck me as being unique. interesting from doing this podcast is how differently each different film director's relationship is with music both in terms of their love for it as a film fan but also in terms of how they use it as a character almost throughout the film as well. Yes in my films there's no score per se there's no underscore to scenes 
if there's an elevator scene, there's music that I pick or write occasionally. And this current film, Mascots, C.J. Vanston did the, the music. I will do a lot of it myself, and that's fun, but there's no score per se. What was the reasoning behind that? Well, in this, uh, it's a it's a technical <laughs> answer, Yeah. which I can't remember. The music in Mascots is music that is uh, for the acts that the mascots are doing, and it really was something I wouldn't have been able to do, frankly. And CJ has helped uh, arrange music for us, and he's our keyboard player when Spinal Tap tours. And so this was uh, different, but it's wonderful music. Can we go back to Spinal Tap for a second? You may. Because you guys wrote the music. We did. Where did you start with it? What was the what were the discussions that you had? Well, it begins with the premise of a documentary, obviously, about a heavy metal band. Well, if, if you've seen the film, their claim to fame is that they're loud. Look, right across the board. Wow. 11, oh, 11, and most 11. And then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes you know be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where can you go from there? I don't know. Nowhere. Exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? I put it up to eleven. Eleven. Exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to eleven. The bigger the cushion, the sweeter the push. Writing music, uh, even if it's some sort of parody, it has to be good on some levels because otherwise who wants to spend time with this? So the challenge was to do the over-the-top part of heavy metal. The, there's some pretension, you might say, in some of the grandeur or dreams of delusion and uh, the poetry, the sort of faux poetry aspects. And Stonehenge, a song that we wrote, um, there's a, they take themselves very seriously, so that would have not been a, a joke, obviously. It would have been a serious, mythical story of some sort. Stonehenge, where the demons dwell, where the banshees live and they do live well. Stonehenge, where a man is a man and the children dance to the pipes of Pan.
That's the fun of it, is to then write music as those characters. And where were they now? The little people of Stone Age. And what would they say to us if we were here tonight? It's almost as if you're out-of-body experience. You're, you're writing not the way you I would write, or playing for that matter. You play in a different way, and that's really fun, because now you're, the dimensions of this expand, and then more of a challenge, but more fun. like the mighty wind where it's a completely different genre of music but a huge movement and I know that you're a big fan of country music as well. Well this was folk music as opposed to country music which is very different. Folk music in the States came from music that originally was Ireland and Scotland came over in the 1700s and became folk music as opposed to country music which is connected but not in the same way. As I travel down the back roads of this home I love so much Every carpenter and cowboy Every lame man When we were doing some shows, uh, tours, the Folksmen, the group, opened for Spinal Tap at Carnegie Hall and at Wembley Arena. 
and people didn't know it was us because we were disguised. And because you're such good musicians. Well, we were playing completely inappropriate music for an opening of the heavy metal act, which in itself was already not really a heavy metal act. My mama was the cold north wind. My daddy was the son of a railroad man from west of hell, where the trains don't even run. Never heard the whistle of a southbound freight or the singing of its driving wheel. No, I never did no wandering. I never did no wandering. Never did no. And it was the feeling of people not wanting you. It was really interesting. They'd come to see you, but they didn't even know that was you. And when are these people getting off? I worked the fields my father worked From dawn till setting sun My calloused hands and windburn face Have marked me as a man Who has no voice no rights, no hope, no place to call his own. And the skeletons of Quinto call me home. My son came, and he didn't know who we were. He came with my wife to see us when we were playing in Los Angeles. And he, he turned to my wife and he said, when are the old guys getting off and the loud guys coming on? It was April 27th in the year of 91, about a mile below the surface and the warm Kentucky sun. The late shift was ending and the early shift was late, and the foreman ate his dinner from a dirty tin plate. Blood on the tracks, blood in the mine. Brothers and sisters, what a terrible, a time. terrible time. Oh, 97 went in the wrong hole. Now in my number 60, there's blood on the coal. And I thought, well, then that was successful. In the feeling of an opening act, rarely people come to see the opening act, but to have that actual feeling of not being wanted was kind of chilling, but success at the same time, because we had accomplished what we wanted to do. Whenever I'm out a wandering, chasing a rainbow dream, I often stop and think about a place I've never seen. Where friendly folks can gather and raise the rafters high, with songs and tales of yesteryear until they say goodbye. Well, there's a puppy in the parlor and a skillet on the stove and a smelly old blanket and a Navajo wolf. There's popcorn in the popper and a porker in the pot. There's pie in the pantry and the coffee's always hot. There's sausage in the morning and a party every night. There's a nurse on duty if you don't feel right. There's chicken on the table, but you gotta say grace. <sighs> there's always something cooking at old Joe's place. 
soundtrack for The Mighty Wind, you know, and all the, the different performances that happen in that. Mm. The line between fiction and reality is so fine. It has to be. It has to be. In fact, the first time we did The Folksman, it was at a real folk festival, and we didn't tell anybody anything. We were after Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Arlo Guthrie, and there were a bunch of Richie Havens, were a bunch of people, and people were looking at us with this sort of expression of, I kind of remember these guys from the 60s, because we had bald caps and all kinds of weird things. And at Carnegie Hall when we played, and we opened for ourselves, again, Spinal Tap was playing, uh, my wife was in the audience and someone next to her said, oh, I, I remember these guys. I do remember these guys from the 60s. And you're thinking, okay, well now you've just lost your mind. And the illusion of that, if it if it's feels real and the songs sound appropriate, then I guess that's a success. It's kind of mind-blowing. It is, and we experienced that for 30 years doing tap shows because people have come to see those characters performing. It's two hours of music, and we then continually say to ourselves, what just happened? Do people know what this is? I think they want to be part of the movie, and they are, in a sense, because that's the closest they can get. So it's just loving that experience of watching the show, and now we get to experience it on a different level, I suppose. Wembley and stuff that you've stepped out on both as you know the folksman and also Spinal Tap but you're in character I mean your brain's not in character you're kind of like oh holy crap we're playing to thousands of people and, oh. well I, I think the first time that happens it's a strange surreal experience but then you're you know if you're I've acted on stage for a long time and I've played music you are in that it's, it's hard to describe Glastonbury, I think it's 130, 40,000 people, yeah. and you're looking out over it from the main stage, and it's bizarre, you know. But we'd done that before. We played Wembley a couple of times, and you're looking out at a lot of people, and you're just in this weird bubble of doing that. And uh, but at the same time, there is this inner conversation of what the, yeah. yeah. What do you listen to as a, a hobby music-wise? I have a very eclectic playlist, if I can use that word. Well, I did. It's a horrible term.
it varies through the day. I listen to Celtic music, I listen to classical music, I listen to jazz, I listen to rock and roll, just wide spectrum. I read a little thing about some of the films that influenced you, and you mentioned Fellini earlier as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Woody Allen's film, Broadway, Danny Rose is a, yes. it was an influence on me as well. And for me, the way that Woody Allen uses music and mm -hmm. his own personal taste in music, jazz is a real soundscape to his films. Very much so, yes. He's a, a clarinet player. I'm a clarinet player, uh, among other instruments, uh, but that's the instrument that I began with, actually, and I moved away from that quickly because I wanted to sing at the same time, and that's really difficult when you're playing the clarinet to sing. It compromises both things, it turns out. Yes, and his, his music and his love of Louis Armstrong and that period of jazz worked its way into the film in some way. Sometimes I wonder why I spend a lonely night Baby, dreaming of a song melody My memory, and I want to get with you When a love was new, always It's an inspiration, baby, are there any other forms of the music world that you would like to dip into and, and portray? Have you thought about jazz? Well, there's a problem. There's a problem because I started playing in bands with uh, and writing songs with Michael McKean when we were at university. And we can play a bunch of different things, but we're certainly not jazz players. I can play some jazz, but to do that properly, it, it just wouldn't work. The joy of doing this is actually being able to play the music. And so to sit down and pretend that we're a jazz trio is, is not going to work or a classical quartet or whatever it is yeah. so there's some limitations i like the truth in that that you have to be good enough well sure to be able yeah to... that would be incredibly arrogant and since we actually play and a lot of it's live your point is well taken because i grew up watching a lot of jazz listening to jazz and classical music as well and the orchestra is an amazing area to do because of the politics within an orchestra you have the conductor obviously that mega personality you have the uh, different sections. You have the first violin section and the second. And what are the second people thinking? <laughs> and you have this inherent thing. It's right there. It's just perfect for doing something that none of us could. You probably could do it. I'd like to be on percussion. Percussion? Yeah. You, okay, I'll put you on timpani. How's that? One thing that I love as well is films where they bring a musician in to compose the soundtrack for it. and knowing that I was chatting to you gave me an excuse, not that I need one, to rewatch Princess Bride, which Mark Knopfler composed the soundtrack for. appreciate when I was 12 when I first watched 12, the film. 12, probably two. Yeah, um, yeah, I came to it late. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was two, unfortunately. But Mark Knopfler. Well, that was Rob Reiner's decision, and at the time, that was kind of an unusual choice. There are all these composers out there who do typical or conventional scores, as talented as they may be. Going to Mark Knopfler was definitely a different thing, and it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, that's a sweet movie.
play still? You know, not not. I not play every day. Do you? I do. I play mandolin or guitar every day. Yeah, and and I have many instruments at home. Uh, I mean, I have many guitars, many mandolins, and mandocellos and things. And I pick one or two different ones and I practice and I play. Sure, and I record at home. And uh, yeah. What yeah. do you all play, if you mind me asking? Well, sometimes I'll play a song that I've wanted to do a version of, where I'll I'll put down uh, some guitar parts and the mandolin parts, and then I'll add orchestra parts and other things, just a whim. It's funny, about a month ago I recorded uh, Loch Lomond, and I thought, well, I'd just like to hear this on mandolin, and I just it was just a whim, and I just did that. And sometimes I just put down bass parts and drums, and then I just start playing guitar, and it's just fun. Your house sounds like so much fun to be It in. is. <laughs> well, it is. Nothing more fun. instruments you want to learn to play as well? I mean, I play several instruments and I practice them and to have a new instrument is a bit of a presumptive idea that you can just pick up an instrument. People many times say to me, what's the easiest instrument to play? And I say, well, there really isn't an easiest one and their eyes just kind of glaze over because they want to hear, oh, you'll just take a few days and you'll, you'll play something. Because things today seem as if, well, everything is fast. You, know, you have a smartphone and you have a computer and you can just do things quickly, but music is not one of them. My eight-year-old has just recently joined the guitar and band club. Mm. Uh, three weeks in, he came back last week. Mom, we learned something on the water. I'm like, smoke on the water. So he comes back, gets the guitar, and he's like, dun, dun, dun. And that want of trying to help him find that next one. Absolutely. It. But it's so exciting. We all came out what music is. It goes into your body and I think that's why music lasts for people because of an emotional connection. It, what else would it be? It's amazing. A person finds yes. something in music yeah. that they want to learn. Yeah, especially smoke on the water. <laughs> yeah. Well no, it's so fundamental and it sticks in your mind and once they learn to play that then you're off and running and it's exciting, really fun. Have you ever 
just gone out and played to an audience, either yourself or the three of you, not within the characters? Is we did a tour, we called it the Unwigged Tour. I, I saw, yeah. And we did 26 cities in the States, and we came here and did a couple of gigs as well, as just us. And that was an amazing relief. <laughs> was it, yeah? Oh, sure. Well, look, we're old people and putting on wigs, it's stupid. You know? <laughs> that was amazing. That I liked. And I did a record called The Bayman Brothers, which is a record of um, meditative music almost. I play mandolin and some guitar, and it's three of us. We did all the music, and that's just real people. That's not any characters. Even though we call it the Bayman Brothers, it's just music. And so, yeah, there's a relief after so many years of wearing silly clothing uh, to go out and just play, sure. We do it again? Don't know. Is there a want to? I'd love to. We're kind of busy, it turns out, some, <laughs> some, with three of us, and we're doing different things. Christopher, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. In particular about your love and genuine kind of passion for music as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for being smart. Christopher Guest's musical side project, The Bayman Brothers, that's Awakening. Rounding off this, our latest episode of Soundtracking. My thanks to Christopher for joining us. Mascots is available to watch on Netflix now. You can find a track list for the show by heading to edithbowman.com where you can also catch up on all of our previous episodes with the likes of Ron Howard, Derek C. in France, Andrea Arnold and John Favreau. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Soundtracking UK and do tell your friends to check out the show if you like it. Next up is David Yates, who directed the final four Harry Potter films and has now been charged with J.K. Rowling's spin-off, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.